Good morning. We continue to be thankful to see you, thankful for a good crowd, and thankful for all who feel comfortable joining us here as we worship God together. Uh, Charles Hannah leaned over to me and said, that's the pollen cloud that you walked through or drove through as you were getting here today. One of those uh, things in the south that you see over the last week with the rain, we've seen the pollen pond on the road, you know, when you drive past the, after all the rain and the ponds are yellow. It's uh, difficult for most of us, but we're thankful uh, for those who uh, can survive through that and that you're able to be with us today. As was said already, we've got um, many who are with us, some who have not been with us before, several visitors in our midst. We're certainly thankful for that. It's hard to call out everyone or identify all those who are visiting with us, but I think we need to take just a moment. There's a uh, not a visitor, but a first-time attendee in the, in the back corner back here. We prayed quite often for Hudson and for Jessica and for Tanner, and we're thankful uh, that Hudson could be with us this morning and for their good family being here and uh, as much as we pray and even as we said we want to give uh, prayer for all those who are sick we want to also pray for the good news that we get and the improvements that we see and we're thankful for uh, the way that Hudson has grown and to be able to see him even on a day like today. If you have your Bible, I hope that you'll be taking it and uh, turning with us as we look at several passages. If you're pulling it out, you may want to go over, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 John and we'll be there in just a moment. 1 John, in 1837, 1837, the Dutch writer, also more known to us as the Dutch fairy tale writer, Hans Christian Andersen, published what became known as his third and final installment of Fairy Tales Told for Children. Now, interestingly enough, if you're familiar with his works at all, one of those two stories in that third and final installment was one by the name of the Little Mermaid. And before it had the backing of the mouse in Florida with the ears and music and animation and all that, that's where that story actually began. But there was a second story that's also fairly well known that was included in that fairy tales told for children about a king. A king who was ruling, and he had a kingdom, and in that kingdom, two swindlers came into his kingdom. And they swindled the king and many of his servants to such a point that he was willing to parade through the city wearing nothing but believing in this imaginary set of clothes until a child exclaims, but he has on nothing at all. The emperor's new clothes is well known to many of us, a cautionary tale that reminds us that often there are obvious things that people are unwilling to acknowledge. Maybe a little hard to see the red writing on the screen, but there will be some white as well as we fill in the blanks in your outline if you have one in front of you. But the idea is that everyone has a problem. Everyone has a condition, but no one quite often wants to talk about it. There is a problem that everybody has, but nobody talks about. The Bible speaks of this situation quite often. We read of it from the beginning to the end. And that is, of course, the, the problem of sin. We all have a sin problem. But the thing that we want to acknowledge and consider this morning is, what are we going to do about it? You see, the, the church, Christians often get a bad rap because the world would say, well, you all believe you're perfect. You all believe that, that you're above everyone else. You don't have any problems. You're better than everyone else. But most of us would say, oh, that's not the case at all. I think in our class this morning, we talked a lot about some of the things of this world. Jerry said that he considers, and I tend to agree, the, the church a hospital. And it's true. People come in with a sin problem. But as we're going to even think about this morning, part of the point is, is that you don't remain in that sin problem. 
One doesn't go into the hospital to stay for forever or to continue in sickness, but one goes into the hospital to then improve. And if we are not careful, we can fall into that situation. That we come here together and we know what we're supposed to be, and so then we don't want to talk about the things that we sometimes struggle with. You see, this is a family. We have preached on that and emphasized that time and time again already this year. But part of the family is sharing in the good and the bad. We do sometimes fall into the trap of, of not sharing what's going on in our lives. Sometimes that's when we're sick. Other times it's when we're struggling. and We don't want to appear weak. We don't want to be the one that, that's, that has a problem. And so we don't share. We don't talk about the sin that so easily besets us. But we all have a sin problem and we need to talk about it. This morning I would like for us to consider four questions to help us understand this problem. We all know this is not a feel-good lesson. This is not something that we are excited to talk about, but it is still certainly a necessary lesson. Number one this morning, what is sin? What is sin? Well, it is a missing of the mark or a transgression. The preacher up here on the, the third or fourth row had me beat. He already had that part filled in because most of you have probably heard him say that before. It's a missing of the mark. I ask you to turn to 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 4. 1 John 3 and verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Now depending on the version that you have in front of you, it may say transgression. But we kind of sum it up by talking about the fact that sin is missing the mark. The Greek word there being hamartia. A missing of the mark. We usually describe this as well as an archer. If you will, archery may not be as popular as it once was, but as an archer draws back to fire his bow and fails to hit the target at which he aims. That's a missing of the mark. That's what sin is. Now, we mentioned when we talk about sin that this can sometimes be a sin of commission, we say, or omission. The sins that we commit on purpose, the things that we do that we, we know are wrong, but we commit them anyways, and then the sins that we sometimes omit, the things we neglect to do. And if we're not careful, another problem, the trap that we fall into is we, we want to classify. And we want to say, well, I don't commit sin, and so I'm not, I don't do those other things. But if we're not careful, we will omit the things that we know that we need to do. When we think about the archer, there is a strong belief when we talk about missing the mark that the archer in question fails to hit the right mark because he actually chooses to aim at a wrong one. How many times does that describe the sin that we fall into in our lives? It's not that we draw back and we go to aim and we say, Man, I just messed up again. You know, I just missed. Or we say, I know the mark I'm supposed to hit, but I'll just go over here and, and aim at another one. Uh, you know, we just pretend like it's an accident. But how many times do we intentionally aim at the wrong one so yes sin is a missing of the mark not only in an archer sense maybe in a target but we think about the bar sometimes we talk about setting the bar or almost like a high jump well you know I can't reach that sometimes we don't even try sin is a transgression it's a lawlessness it's a missing of the mark but number two it is also a burden a burden if you have your bibles look in Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. It's a burden. Jesus says here, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Sin is a burden upon us. It can weigh upon us, even those who are not Christians, even those who are not faithful Christians. Have you ever been in the wrong? Have you ever done something? Maybe you lied. Go back to childhood. Go back to being in school. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was cheating on a test or, or lying in some form or fashion. And you knew it was wrong, but you did it. And then you got to come back and face the teacher the next hour or the next day. And you got that feeling. You know what, you know what that is? That, it's that burden that's weighing upon you. So sometimes sin is a burden. Now, sometimes it's not. We know the Bible speaks of us becoming numb, not feeling anything anymore. That can happen as well. But it can also be a burden in our lives. And Jesus says, take my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And so when we think not only about sin, but the opposite of sin, we understand what Jesus is talking about here. Number three, what is sin? Well, sin is, we might say, deceiving. Hebrews chapter 3, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. The Hebrew writer is writing to Christians, Jewish Christians, who are wanting to go back to their Jewish ways. He says, brethren, beware, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, we've emphasized for a year now the importance of coming and being together in worship. We understood that for a time we maybe took a period where we separated, we stayed away so that for our health's sake, but as we have begun to come back together, we've tried to emphasize the importance of being together because Christianity is not meant to be done on an island. It's not meant to be done by just one person alone. But there are so many more passages than just Hebrews chapter 3 that talk about encouraging one another, exhorting one another. And we should do that daily. Yes, on the first day of the week. Yes, in the middle of the week as our elders open the doors and say we should be here for Bible study. But daily we exhort one another. Why? Because sin is deceiving. It's deceitful. And think for just a moment. When you come on Sunday, Monday is usually a little bit better of a day maybe. Uh, maybe not with work, maybe not with stress, life, things like that. Most of us don't like Mondays. But oftentimes we're a little stronger when we go into Monday, when we come to services on Sunday and we encourage and exhort one another. What about Tuesday? What about Wednesday morning and Wednesday afternoon? And you know, you just don't feel like coming on Wednesday night. Then what about Thursday? What about Friday? As the time grows, as we stop exhorting one another, then we begin to think, you know, there's some things that just aren't that big a deal. Sin deceives us. And not only that, as the Hebrew writer says here, it hardens us. It causes us to say, well, you know, I missed last time and, and I, I'm okay. I survived. I'm making it. I'll just, if I have to miss next time, that's okay as well. Sin is deceiving. And it confuses us to what the Bible really has to say about sin. But number four, well, before we move on to our next point, excuse me for just a minute. Let me give you a couple other words. I didn't get them in the bulletin, but you might jot these down to the side. Other words that are used, a couple of others, just for your consideration, I thought might be encouraging. Sin is a scarlet stain. We think about Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 18. Isaiah would say, though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, 
They shall be as wool. Sin is a scarlet stain. We understand that, right? We, we have things like coffee. We have things like grape juice. We have things that we drink, sometimes wearing clothes that are of lighter color. And we know what happens if we have an accident and we bump something and we spill that onto our clothes. We have a stain, something that's really hard to get out and quite often almost impossible to get out. I got a little stain on my shirt here that keep, I keep covered up. A little bit of oil I got on my arm one time. We had to do some work on the car one Sunday afternoon real quick. Got a little oil on my shirt. It's there. When I pull the shirt out and wear it, it's there. Because it's a stain that I cannot get rid of. And that's the way that, that life is oftentimes. We're going to come back to that in just a few moments. But sin is like a scarlet stain. One more, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Sin is a trespass. Now this is a word that we understand, right? Because we all have a property of some sort. Maybe you live in an apartment, you don't have a yard, but, but you understand the concept of a trespass. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul would write, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. A trespass, a false step. A trespass, a crossing of the line. Do not trespass. We know those signs. We understand that. But sin is like a trespass. We have crossed the line. And notice... All these words that we've mentioned so far, none of them are good. None of them encourage us in any kind of way. Trespass, deceiving, a burden, transgression, none of these things make us feel good. But that's exactly what sin is. We've mentioned that it's a burden. Why is sin such a burden? We've already put it up there just a moment ago, but it's because it separates us from God. I'm going to make mention of this at the end of the lesson, but, but I watched a video this week and of someone, and, and they were asking this question, does our sin really separate us from our God? It caused me to think, and it maybe would be something that you would be encouraged by as well, but when we say that, the passage that we turn to is Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but there's a problem. Those things are true, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. We already read Matthew chapter 11 just a few moments ago about sin being a burden. Why is sin such a burden? Well, we see there in that passage that Jesus says that he offers a rest. A rest from what? The burden of sin. Why is it such a burden? Because it separates us from God. You see, you're here this morning, and possibly those viewing online, and maybe those that, that might view this lesson later, you're interested in biblical things. You may understand there is a God in heaven. We want to be with Him. The only thing that keeps us from that is our sin and our iniquities. Why is sin such a burden? Because it separates us from God. If we want to be with God, then we have to deal with our sin problem. Thanks be to God that he's done that, that Jesus has done that, but it helps us to understand not only what sin is, but why it's such a big deal, why it's such a burden. I think you're here this morning because you want to go to heaven. Most people in the world would say that. I might even venture to say that we could probably get a line all the way down the road and most of the way through Saudi Daisy of people who would say they want to go to heaven. The problem is sin. The question then is, who's going to do something about it? 
God, through Christ, has done something, but what are we going to do? Even though that may be true, even though we may be able to get a whole line of people who say, I want to go to heaven, some people don't think there's a problem with sin. They might say, it's not a big deal. So it might be beneficial for us for just a moment to consider, what are some of the results of sin? What are some of the results of sin? Well, we might say, first of all, as we've already talked about here for just a moment, that it is separation. We just discussed Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. But the Apostle Paul in the New Testament also speaks about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. We won't take the time to read all of those verses, obviously, this morning. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 3 through 12, verse 8, you're familiar with, reminds us that the Lord Jesus, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, he will take vengeance. That doesn't sound exciting. Something else we discussed in our, our class also this morning. That doesn't sound exciting. That the Lord might be take, taking vengeance, the avenger, as we talked about from, from Thessalonians. But he's going to take vengeance. But that discomforting thought doesn't be, it's not left there. Because he gives us two classes of people who really need to worry about that. And who are they? Those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not in those categories, you don't have to worry about him taking vengeance. But if you are, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, that's what he's coming to do. To take vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But... Notice verse 9, because we sometimes stop there. He goes on to say in verse 9 that those two categories of people shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. A separation. Eternally a separation. You see, we're, we should be concerned about the results of sin. And one of the results of sin is this separation that we've talked about. Number two, we might say that one of the results of sin is death. It's death. Now that's sometimes, and we'll go ahead and give you the rest of the blanks there to fill out, but, but it's sometimes in a physical sense. Now it's interesting as we think about separation and death that the very first example we get in Scripture is found in Genesis chapter 3. And what do we find there? Adam and Eve sin and they face death. Not immediate death, but they face death. Not only that, but they are cast out of the garden and they face separation. The results of sin are sometimes separation. Sometimes it is death. And these first two points are connected there. Now, it's interesting to me that sometimes physical death does happen immediately. There are at least a couple of other passages that we think about in the Bible. Leviticus chapter 10, of course. Leviticus 10, 1 through 7, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. Do you remember the situation? We don't know all of the details, but we are told that they do something wrong. They offer a profane fire before the Lord, and immediately, physically, there is death. What about Acts chapter 5? We come forward to the New Testament. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira? They lie to the Holy Spirit and to the apostles on what they have given, and immediately and physically there is death. What about us today? Well, for us today, sometimes the tragic consequences of sin are immediate. We think about the terrible tragedy of drunkenness. 
We hope that no other lives are taken in an accident, but yes, even sometimes immediately after partaking in this sinful way, there is an accident and someone because of sin, not struck dead by God, but in an immediate kind of sense, dies because of the consequences, the results of their sin. And yes, even sometimes innocent people die because of that. So yes, we do die a physical death and sometimes it is immediate, but more importantly than that, There is spiritual death. You're familiar with Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is death. What's the word there? Wages, the payment, what we deserve. Someone says, you come work for me, I'll pay you 20 bucks an hour. I work for you an hour, my wages should be 20 bucks. If you are a sinful person, the payment that you deserve is death. James chapter 1 and verse 15. Then when desire has conceived... Talking about temptation, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings death. That's the result. So yes, in a physical sense, sometimes we die, but yes, also in a spiritual sense, we die. This is certainly the worst. We must avoid spiritual, eternal death at all costs. But let's go a little further. Let's think about our lives for a minute. The third thing that we might say we sometimes face is scars. We all have scars. Again, I got a couple of good ones. I got one right here on my, my elbow that I, I hurt at work. I sliced my elbow open, had to go to the hospital and have stitches. I got, I got one on, on my knee that happened in a, a boating accident. And by boating accident, I mean I slipped and fell on the ramp and, and busted my knee open when I was a teenager. Not exactly a boating accident, but it makes for a good story, right? Sometimes our scars give for a good story because we have accidents. We have things that happen. And then we have scars. Do you have any scars? I'm sure we could all go around and share our physical scars. Do you have any scars from sin? We see it in the Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We think about King David. Do you remember the account there in Samuel of the things that are going to take place with David? 2 Samuel chapter 11 with the actual sin that is committed. Do you think that King David felt any scars? Again, in our auditorium class, we talked about that. Oh, the scars that came from that one moment. What about Paul? Do you ever think Paul looked in the mirror and saw Saul of Tarsus? Do you think he ever laid down at night and saw the face of Stephen, hearing his cries for mercy, feeling the material of the coats that he was holding as those people committed murder and killed and stoned Stephen? Do you think that Paul ever laid down and thought about those things and felt any type of scar from the things that he had done in his previous life and the things that he had done before he had come to know Christ and become a Christian? Here's the thing. Jesus can forgive the sins we commit, but very often the scars will remain. And for many of us, if you're here today and you've got a scar from sin, there's a chance that's a good thing. Because oftentimes... Our scars prevent us from doing something wrong again. You know, the one on my elbow here that I got from work, I didn't do it again. Twelve years, that was the first year. Twelve more years of working among steel, sharp objects, things, machinery, never happened again. Because of the scar that I had that reminded me of what happens when you do something you shouldn't do. Scars can be bad, scars can be good, but when we sin, they leave behind scars. We talk about David, great man of God, but he had to deal with those scars. The last thing that I would leave you with here before we move on in our lesson, 
I feel it necessary to toss in for just a moment that sometimes when we commit sin, nothing happens, right? I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes nothing happens, at least for the moment. Think about David. Let's go back to David for a minute. What happened in that moment after he committed the sexual sin with Bathsheba? Probably nothing in the moment. What happened even after he sent Uriah to battle, to die? Nothing happened in a sense. And so sometimes for us, you know, you think about a kid taking something from a store. They might go in, they might grab a piece of candy, they walk out and nothing happens. And again, that's not necessarily a good thing, but that is a bad thing. In fact, I would suggest that this is certainly one result that nothing happens, but that is probably the most dangerous thing that can happen. Because when we sin and nothing happens in the moment, then we think we can do it again. And so we look at Nadab and Abihu, and we look at Ananias and Sapphira, and say, I'm sure glad that God doesn't strike me dead the first time I sin. But then on the other side, we say, well, you know, sometimes nothing happens. And sometimes something happens. But we have to realize that there are consequences. And certainly, in the, if nothing happens in the moment physically, we know that something is happen, happening spiritually as we continue to sin. So our last question then, what am I supposed to do? The, preacher, this sounds pretty awful. I don't know why you decided to preach on this today. This is not encouraging at all. We all have a sin problem. It's something that kills us. It's something that hurts us. What are we going to do about it? Well, we know that Christ has certainly taken the first step, that he gave himself. He shed his blood. We're thankful for the time we had this morning to spend thinking about that. But what am I supposed to do? Number one, we might say we need to repent. Let's go back to David one more time. Psalm 51 in verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Psalm 51 verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned. David had sinned. David had sinned against Bathsheba. David had sinned against the unborn child. David had sinned against Uriah. David had sinned against Nathan the prophet. David had sinned against the nation of Israel. He had a problem and he needed to repent. David Knew he needed to make a change. And so we sing and we read the 51st Psalm as a man of sorrow and tears, knowing that he has done something wrong and he needed to change. Let's go to the New Testament. What about the beautiful, absolutely beautiful picture painted for us in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son? It's a favorite of many for a reason, because we see ourselves in that beautiful picture. It took rock bottom. I mean, absolute rock bottom bottom for the prodigal son but he recognized his need for repentance he came home to his father and he said i have sinned against heaven and in your sight verse 21 luke chapter 15 you see repentance discussing repentance we often describe as it as a change of mind or a change of heart that leads to a change of life let me say it again because i've come to appreciate that one a little bit more you know i used to always describe it as You know, you're going this way, and it's the 180-degree turn that way. And I think that's true. We're going towards sin, and we need to stop and go away from sin and go towards God. I think that's true. But I also like the way that it's stated. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart that leads to a change of life. Because when we think about sin and we think about repentance, repentance is great because anyone who has sinned, as long as they have breath and life, they can change. From those who have lied to their parents, 
to those who are thieves and have stolen, to someone who has had an abortion, to someone who commits murder. As long as you have breath and life, you can change. God will forgive you, and we are thankful for that. But we must change. We sometimes talk about reaching out to those people, and, and do, we, do we emphasize enough that you can be forgiven? I hope we do, because it's true. We can be forgiven of those kinds of things. Even the most egregious things, the things that make us sick, we can be forgiven. But we can't just sort of come one day and give lip service. We've got to change our mind, our heart, and change our lives. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. God commands all men everywhere to repent. What am I supposed to do? I've got this problem. It seems to be mounting. I'm deep in it. What am I going to do? Well, you simply have to repent. Change your heart. Change your mind. Allow that to change your life. Not continuing to live in sin. As Paul would say, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. May it not be so. No way should we continue in sin. We must change. But not only that, as we usually say at the end of our lessons, we must walk in the light. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We've talked before, as we mentioned this passage, the verb tense. It means to keep on walking. It's something that we continually do. You see, this is where the rubber meets the road. Part of the idea for this lesson, as I mentioned a few moments ago, it came from a video. And, it's, and it was sort of a video that was kind of, I think, trying to draw attention. It was trying to, you know, sensationalize and get some headlines. Because the person said, do our sins, does our sin really separate us from God? Well, not really. In a sense, we've talked about that here just now. If we walk in the light, the first time that, that, that you mess up doesn't mean you're immediately banished. That's true. But if it says our sin separates us from God, then that must be true. So what's the balance? This is it. Walking in the light. It's someone who is honest. You see, what it takes is honesty. You know, God knows, if you're truly walking in the light. Does our sin separate us from God? Well, for the child of God, the Christian, it does not immediately know. But if you cannot continue, but you cannot continue to walk in sin, walk in the light. That's where you need to be. What am I supposed to do about my sin problem? Will I repent? I change and then I walk in the light. Honestly, honestly, it's hard to be honest with ourselves sometimes, but that's what God is asking us to do. The answer to does our sin separate us from God is yes, they do. Not always immediately, though, certainly not if you're walking in the light, but you cannot continue. Now, you know, I mean, you know, you know, you know, when you say something, you say, I'm not going to do that anymore. But then the next day you do it again. You say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And the next day you do it again. Or you say, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. And maybe you set something up so that you can't do it anymore. Maybe you set some kind of barrier. You ask someone to pray for you and help you. And you go, you go months without doing that again. We, we can honestly say, then you're trying. As opposed to the person who says, well, I just really hate that, but, but never actually makes a change. So what are you doing when it comes to walking in the light? I can't answer for you. You know, and God knows. Are you walking in the light this morning? Do you need to repent from your sins? The burden of sin is heavy, and yes, our sin does separate us from God. The consequences are very serious. But we also have a solution. We also have the medicine. We have the cure. We have God's simple plan of salvation. 
We know what we can do about our sin problem. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood so that we could be made whole, so that we could have the forgiveness of sins. The saving power of the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't have to continue in sinful ways. Become a Christian, even today, by putting Christ on in baptism, allowing the Lord to add you to his church, and you can begin to walk in the light. It's a freeing feeling to know that your sins are washed away, that you are forgiven, that you have hope that's already been talked about this morning, the hope of heaven that we can have. But we know that it's a struggle. Sin, sin is a problem that we all face. And it will ultimately cause us to lose our souls if we do not turn from it and give our lives to Christ in obedience to his gospel. Maybe you're a Christian, but sin has worked its way back in. Because as great as that feeling is on that day when you became saved, when you had your sins washed away, that sort of fades. The devil's always trying. Sin's always entering our lives. And what are we going to do with it? If you're here this morning and you're not walking in the light, as a Christian, we'll be singing to encourage you that you would come back to him. We're thankful for God's second law of pardon, that we can repent and pray for forgiveness. And God is faithful to do just that so that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. First John chapter one and verse seven. Sin is a problem that we all face. Don't die in your sins. Become a Christian. Walk in the light. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.